0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things
1: geek.
2: Uh Uh-oh, guess what day it
3: is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike?
1: (laughs) Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and this time we are going high class. We are looking at the new Downton Abbey movie, Downton Abbey, A New Era. It's you know very interesting to see some old friends return, and it's going to be very sad to see them leave at the end and you know who lives who dies why is this called a new era we're gonna be talking all about that and speaking of an old friend he's back once again let's welcome mr mike gordon howdy good sir you did your british accent wow I, i know i i try not
3: to but you know it's hard not to get in the spirit of doubt
1: oh that is it's just amazing sir i am in awe I am. <laughs>
3: uh, it is always uh, fun to go uh, back to Downton, back to Downton Abbey, a return to Downton, so to speak. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with everybody. Um, we will be spoiling the movie for those people who are uh, listening that have not yet seen it. And based on the box office numbers, I don't think a lot of people have seen it yet. But um, we will be uh, going into spoilers, so be prepared for that. Uh, but otherwise, uh, we have a really good – I mean, we have a good show for planned. We today, do. So I'm excited.
1: Yes, we have the first time a father and son team in the geek seat. This will be very, very interesting to see. But we'll One for the, the whole family. Oh, exactly. You know, two. Two for the price of one. <laughs> and, you know, we bring you to this show to you for the wonderful price of – free! That's right, folks. It's free. And as a way of saying thank you, please write us feedback at dot onecom We definitely would love to hear from you guys. And let us know what's going on with you guys. Did you guys see the movie? Did you not? What's been going on with the beginning of your summer? Do you have big plans for Memorial Day? I always get Memorial Day and Labor Day always confused. You know, it's like one's at the beginning, the other's at the end. You one's
3: know. with Dragon Con.
1: Oh, that thing. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're getting closing in on 100 days of Till Dragon Mikey. It's pretty amazing. But definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please write us, see what's going on. You know what? We have a lot going on. We got a lot of different things, but we've got to say hi to our friends over at our Patreon. That's right. The ESO Network Patreon is moving along. We just released an episode of ESO Board Silly. And... Boy, we were bored, and gosh, we were silly. And I think we talked about what our first time going on the internet was like. And it's just, you know, that's the kind of goofy stuff you get as a patron for the ESO Network. And for as little as a dollar a month, you too could become a patron. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. And you could get exclusive podcasts. You could also get early releases of our shows, including, you know, Earth Station One, Earth Station Who, and the Dragon Con Report, which is coming out with their new episode very, very soon. So probably not that long after you hear this, you could actually subscribe to the Dragon Con Report and hear episodes for there, too. So pretty cool. So definitely check it out. And you know what? You're helping out the ESO Network also helps us out. So that's ESO Network, Patreon at patreon.com slash ESO Network. Pretty straightforward, folks. Doesn't get more difficult than that. And also, speaking of something that's really cool, Tifosi Optical, it's summertime. It's Memorial Day weekend. And as everyone likes to say, it's summertime. Let's get outside, go to the pool, go to the beach. In some places, I know it's snowing still, but go to the beach anyway have a great time because you know what with the sun is still out there and you know what you can get your own kind of custom-made glasses from tifosi optical sunglasses any shade color you could think of for the frames for the lenses it's pretty cool and you know as a way of saying thank you tifosi optical has a coupon that if you put in earth station one you get 10% off your whole order, not just one pair of glasses, folks, your whole order. That's pretty cool. Go to TifosiOptics.com and check it out. And now we're here with our brand new friends from the What's Under the Bed podcast. Welcome to the show, guys.
2: Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Uh, Kai
3: and welcome to the station. Uh, for those people who are not familiar with your podcast, what you guys do, tell us a little bit about it.
4: Uh, basically, we interview horror directors, actors, and just people who are in the horror genre of
3: movies. Um, yeah, basically, that's it. Wow, that's uh, pretty awesome how How long have you been interested in in horror? I,
4: I've been I've been watching horror since I was a kid. It's been I've I've never really not watched horror, but um, I've I've gotten like I started the show very very recently and like i've had the idea very very recently
2: it's mm-hmm. funny you know he's 14 and i've been showing him horror since he's about three <laughs> and it's we we reached this point
1: father of the year right yeah. there father <laughs> of the year.
2: um i wanted to get like the old uh universal monster movies in him before he became jaded and used to all this stuff and um it was exciting back then because they would work, like he would get scared off the Wolfman or something like that. But um, we've gotten to a point now where he doesn't remember a whole bunch of movies I showed him because he's, you know, he just right. he grew up and doesn't remember that time anymore. And uh, that's that's the saddest part. Although we can go watch them again, I don't yeah, he'd be, I, don't, I don't think he would be scared anymore. He's got like Romero <laughs> in him and stuff like that now.
3: <laughs> so, uh, so the plan was to just go through. Like, really, literally, like, the history of horror movies, right? Like, go through the Universal and then, like, up to the, you know, 40s, 50s, Hammer, 80s, right? Stuff like that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think I didn't I put together a list. You did,
4: of, like, 500 movies. We have not <laughs> seen all of them.
2: Wow, that's yeah. a, that's pretty impressive. It's hard to it's hard to make a list of like a hundred movies. There's just too many of them. He made five hundred. Yeah, so uh, for those
3: people who can't see, uh, you've got some two vintage cool posters, horror posters in the background. You got Wolfen in the Class of '84, right? Yeah. Uh, and I can't help but notice, that you're wearing a uh, Rosemary's Baby T-shirt. Yes, that oh, is. Right. Is that your is that your sweet spot? Like '80s, early late '70s horror. Those are the ones I've watched the most. Okay, I,
4: I've, I've, those are the most I've seen. Um, I I am into the more uh, modern, but it's what I grew up on, and it's what I'm still kind of into now.
3: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so here's a here's a good question for you guys: What makes a great horror movie? what what, what do you what do you look for? What separates like a really good one, even if it's camp? to like from like something that just doesn't work for you guys
5: well
4: here i i actually have a a difficult time i mean the directing is something and also acting is something it's it's always that with any movie but um with me my favorite one of my favorite horror movies is um texas chainsaw massacre
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and it's created as if it were real as if it was actually, like, kind of a documentary look. It It's, like, set up, like, it's because of how it was filmed. It right. was set up like that. Toby Hooper did an amazing job. Like, and there was no gore in it. It made you think that there was gore in it when there really wasn't
3: anything. Mm-hmm.
4: But um, that's one of my favorite things. And then with one of the the campy ones, one of my favorites is stuff. Which I have no idea why I like that movie. I just love it a lot. <laughs> to,
2: to his point, like one of the one of the ways to show him these horror movies is to—I mean, I got to be present, and we have kind of a deal. Texas Chainsaw is a good example because he saw that pretty young, and that is a—you know—it's an intense film. And the deal is, is if it gets too much, he just says so, and we stop it. And mm-hmm. I think there's the, the, the scene where she runs from the house and she's in the gas station, the doors open, the, the other guys come in and it's just all quiet for a minute. And, and like, sizzling of the barbecue and all that. And he said, you got to stop. You got to stop. So we did, and we <laughs> talked about it. And, uh, I, you know, we're I was saying like, this isn't by accident. The director is doing these things to you to get mm. reaction from you. This is not just arbitrary and uh, we'll talk about it and you kind of get it. We, in the meantime, we break the pacing. We get back into it. We can watch it. Uh, so that is Texas Chainsaw is a masterpiece, but that is like um, like an expert at tension, Toby Hooper. And then we have a picture over here. That I guess the audience can't see one of our things, sleep sleepaway camp. This mm. movie is pure camp. <laughs> it has no business being as good as it is, but there is something undeniable about when you watch that movie. If you'll just let it happen, you know, you can go in there as a cynic, I suppose, and, and toss it right away. But there is something about that movie. There's a reason there's sequels. There's a reason people talk about it 40 years later. There's a reason um,
4: why me and my dad have made inside jokes around yeah. <laughs> of
2: to talk about it. So it's it's strange. I mean, you kind of come from a, a more artistic uh, approach. You know, you got Ty West doing like X and, and all that stuff now, uh, which is another modern masterpiece. Uh, but then you just have this schlock that is so much fun. I think it's just it's not really nostalgic because you like it too. Maybe it's, yeah, I like
4: it, and I I wasn't born in
3: the eighties.
2: Yeah, so I, <laughs> but there's more of an intangible with something like stuff and sleepaway camp.
3: I think yeah. I mean, I came in, I mean, I don't pre- profess to be a huge horror fan, but when I was growing up, um, I mean, that was like the sweet spot when when the slasher films were just really starting to take off. I mean, I remember uh, Halloween and Friday the 13th and the first, uh, I think the first, well, one of the first horror movies I saw in the theater was Halloween 3, um, which I love. I know that's I one of those ones, that's one of those ones you either love or hate, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great
3: movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, because uh, last week, I was actually at a horror convention. Uh, I was uh, I was setting up there and everything, and another one of the guests was uh, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, who hates that movie. Absolutely hates <laughs> that movie. Great. Uh, but he agrees with you that, like, one of the best ones is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, that's, I think, when it is his top-shelf one. Um, but when I to your point, when I was watching Halloween three in the theater, I remember like I was getting to a point where after kill after kill after kill, I was going, "Oh my gosh, I've, I I might get sick here. Like this is like too much for me." And uh, that was the scene where I think someone gets attacked by a drill um and i'm like okay this is it if they show it i'm i'm gone like i i'm gonna be all over the like my my lunch will come all over the theater like it'll be it for me and instead they just showed it in shadow which i think it was almost like the director knew like this is the journey that i'm taking you on like i know that that's a little bit too much for you so we'll save it and and continue on um so yeah it does take a lot of skill to make these movies
2: yeah the um Get Halloween three. Yeah, I got love for Halloween three. I, to your point with that, that's certainly it, it, just like you said. He knows the, the 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 movie he's showing you,
4: and it's John Carpenter. You can't say he's
2: no. not good. Yeah, yeah John, right.
3: Carpenter John Carpenter did Halloween three, um,
2: but that's like total camp, right?
3: Yeah. Like well, three. yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean it. it it borders on like insanity. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole concept of you know, sort of you know, taking sacrificing all these kids or whatever mm-hmm. is just like really out there. It's it—it's it, not just your typical like one-man slasher movie.
2: Oh, um, I like how the old guy was sleeping with the the, <laughs> the pretty girl within like an hour. Yeah, like yeah, one. yeah. It's, it's like James Bond of horror. <laughs> <laughs> um.
3: So I noticed under the, the concept or under the description of what's under the bed podcast, and you guys are a video podcast, and we'll have a link to that at the end of, uh, in our show notes so people can go check it out. Um, but it says your ultimate goal is to interview, uh, horror icon Kane Hodder. Uh, has that happened yet? Is that, are you guys close?
4: It has not. We are very close. We were almost <laughs> close on our fifth interview, but now we're on our 12th. Um, gotcha. but, um, you've
3: got some pretty big names that you've uh, talked about and uh, talked to. Right. You've talked to Joe Dante. That's yeah. incredible.
4: Right. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> it was the best thing.
2: Yeah, Dante, we were-
4: Joe Dante, Heather Langenkamp, We We've done it all about Mm -hmm. to be D Wallace, like, we've got, we've gotten things.
3: What in particular is it about Kane Hodder, though, that uh, makes him, like, the the big one on your list?
4: He's the the one that I, that kind of started it all, that kind of gave me the idea of the interview thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I watched his documentary, and I kind of uh, related to some of his stories, and I, my dad ended up uh, contacting him, and he sent an autograph, um, and it it just struck me like I want to talk to this guy, and my dad said we got to get a reason, so he decided to do the interview show.
3: Ah, I see.
2: So it all is based on that. That's cool. Yeah, we were entertaining ourselves during the uh, COVID lockdown. Ah, uh, that was one of the things we thought. Let's go ahead and try to get some autographs from some of these horror people you like. And what we found is we were getting some responses. Uh, so it wasn't just getting the autographs back in the mail. We we Heard from folks like Adrian King and Belinda Blasky and um, uh, you know other people Kane Mm -hmm. and um, and uh, yeah so you know Kane's busy guy so the idea was you know you can't just talk to him we gotta have a reason so we thought it would be you know uh, you know do an interview show there you go and we set out on five four to kind of. Get used to the whole thing and then the fifth one for Kane and um and that's that's kinda of how it started. At when we hit five, we hadn't talked to Cain. We met him. We met him. We met him, but uh we hadn't been able to do an interview. But um I think at that point uh you said you wanted to keep I, I said I wanted to keep going and
3: oh, okay. we just it's not like
2: it's not like once you
3: interview Kane, it's like you're done.
4: No, 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 no. I want to do this for the long <laughs> run. It started that way, but it no, I really enjoy doing this.
2: So that was the deal. I said it has to be five. Can't be one because one's just you know a fluke, right? Uh, or three, you know. Okay, five is something you can look back on. You know, I yep. did this once when I was a kid. I reached out and interviewed a bunch of people, um, but uh, beyond that, you know, if you didn't like it. the commitment would be over and it would be nice learning, good experience and all that stuff. But we're on 12 now, right? 12, 12 will be our next interview.
3: Wow. That's, that is, that's impressive stuff. And it, it looks like a lot of fun. You guys are having a blast doing it. And that's a good thing. You know, that's the important thing. Um, so very cool. Well, um, Mike, I think it's fine. It's time to find out where their passions really lie. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of horrifying answers here, but the geek seat is no, uh, is, is, is not a stranger to horror.
1: Oh, definitely not, but I think this might be actually the first time we ever had a father and son duo in the Geek might
3: Seat. Might be, might oh. be.
1: Oh, so this might uh, be one for the records, my friends. This one might be. Alright, kids. You guys ready for your first question in the Geek Seat? And if you guys could either both answer, you could take turns. Do it however you will go
4: first, and then you'll go next on this question. Okay. <laughs> but yeah.
1: We'll Alright, right, guys. What was your favorite Geek Out moment?
4: Um, I think, personally, I'm also into video games and horror video games, specifically, um, I watched the trailer for the first Five Nights at Freddy's game, and I fell in love immediately. And I begged my mom to buy it for me, and two years later, I finally got it.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, gotcha.
4: I mean, I was, like, really young, so... (laughs)
1: I could understand that, yeah. And so mom is the heavy, and she put the line down on
4: mom the, on the owned the head. iPad.
1: <laughs> oh, <I> gotcha. <laughs> now I got it. So, so, do I say what what he geeked out on? Like, no, what
2: are
1: you geeked out on? No, what are you? On? What do you geek out? now or <laughs> whenever uh, your segment so whatever your this is you're, your segment top, you can do it however me. you wish
2: alright so if we're going to go like lifetime of geeking out it, it really does have to be uh, Star Wars I used to tell the story I'm, I'm old enough to have seen it in the theater and I was pretty mm-hmm. young but um I always tell the story you know I was playing in the yard with Tonka trucks and and my parents said, Let's go to the movie. And I went there, had my snow caps and soda or whatever. And that spaceship comes over. Everything changed. The whole world was different. The talking trucks rusted in the yard. And everything <laughs> was Star Wars from then on. Now, there's people who are so much bigger geeks than me, but not at the time. Not at the time.
1: You know what? So what? You're the largest geek you know in your own mind. <laughs> That's right. So it's even better. Yeah. What was your most disappointing geek out moment?
4: Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. Oh, <laughs> <my God. laughs> really? That's the newest what about game. It? it was so buggy. Granted, the fan base really, really pushed the creators to uh, uh, send it out early, but it was so buggy. I couldn't even play it because because whenever I opened it, it crashed on me. Mm. So pretty disappointed in that. It looks amazing though.
1: <laughs> if only you played well.
2: Though. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So this is good. Uh, the most disappointing was uh, so I'm a fan of Jaws. Who isn't? I love Jaws. love Jaws 2. Mm-hmm. had catamarans. I used to... We had catamarans in my family. Oh, and um, Jaws 3, I loved it. I lived in Florida. That was set in Florida. It was great. <laughs> I didn't care. The 3D was wonderful. I was the right age. And then there was Jaws for the revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I tried really hard to like that movie, but uh,
1: come on, it had Michael Caine. And it had Michael Caine, Caine and that
2: may be the only redeeming factor. If you <laughs> remember the movie, the the Brodies went to the Bahamas, and the shark followed them. They were in mm-hmm. a plane. The shark was swimming, and they show the shark following the plane <laughs> to the Bahamas. Then you have
1: the... uh, As all sharks do. As all sharks do. As all sharks do. And
2: then, um, you know, you had the Bahamian who spoke like a Jamaican. And then the way they killed the shark, if I remember right, is they got him to rear up out of the water. And they stabbed him with the bowsprit of the boat. This is a bad film. So, as far as a geek out, that was very disappointed. Uh, Very disappointed.
1: It was so bad Roy Schneider wouldn't even be attached to it. That's right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, That or trying to square the uh, UFOs with the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark (laughs) mythology. So those two things.
1: (laughs) Understandable. What geeks you guys out the most?
2: Uh,
4: Honestly, it depends. Um, It depends on what it is. When it comes to a horror movie... It it's normally right after the horror movie. If it's a really good horror movie, like uh, we just saw, like when I saw the, the John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. I I was very stoked about it. I was very happy. Mm-hmm. But um,
1: that's awesome. With
4: video games, it came it came to uh, again honestly seeing the trailer for Security Breach. I'm not saying that was a disappointment. It, the game was. But seeing the trailer, it has been it had been so long since a new release came out, and I was just like, oh my gosh, yes.
2: Are you supposed to be playing video games? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what geeks me out the most, I um, I'm going to get all sappy and stuff, uh, what geeks me out the most is being able to do this show, actually, with Dax, having him, I mean, he's 14, so he hasn't seen every horror movie, but he's seen a bunch. Um, and for him to tell me how excited he is about these different people, to see how excited he is when we end an interview. So the very first interview we were supposed to do or we did was with BJ McDonald, and, you know, it took a year to get up the kind of the nerve and courage to do it. And before that interview happened, I told him, I said, man, you're, you're, you're doing so great. You're not even scared. And he said, I'm scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> and he said uh, yeah, I just feel like if I don't do this I won't be living up to the the promise I made and we did it and BJ was probably the best interview we could ever ask for for the first show and it's just been great so being able to you know he'll learn about Scream and Craven, and, and uh, I'll say that's great Scream's a wonderful movie have you seen Night on Elm Street and so being able to show him these things and have him excited about it and just see him having access to these people that I wouldn't have,
1: you know, is, that's what I geek out on lately. Very cool. Yeah. Very okay. flexible. Let's do the other side of the coin on that, though. What turns your geek off?
6: Oh.
2: Video games.
4: Hey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. I don't know. Um. Huh. If I have too high of an expectation of a movie, or just anything, if I have too high of an expectation of something, if someone gives me too high of an expectation of something, like, for example, the new Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. I was given a very high expectation, and I, and they were... I'm going to go on an analogy here. My expectations were pushed off a cliff. Then the, the thing that pushed my, uh, my expectations off the cliff rang down, stomped on my expectations, buried it, then poured water on it and
2: burned it. Is this going to be
3: water? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, so, yeah, okay. I got
2: into Star Wars like I did. am with him a little. On the
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> It was given really high expectations.
3: Understandable.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. No, understandable. All right. What fictional character would you guys like to meet the most? <sighs> Told you these are not easy questions. I'd
4: probably be dead by the second, but Jason Voorhees would be kind of cool.
1: <laughs> wow! Yeah, that, or wow. Michael Myers. It's, it's 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 nice knowing you.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, I just I I I never understand why they just want him to want uh, Michael Myers to speak. I just I just want to shake his hand, and then he mm. can stab me all he wants. But I just want to shake his hand.
2: You gotta give the wacky against the tree in <laughs> the sleeping
3: bag. Yeah, yeah, or that. I want to
4: be whacked <laughs> on the tree.
3: Uh Jason X, I love it
1: i'm
2: mm-hmm. uh, just trying to think that like some of my all-time favorite films uh sogo obscure um what was his last name was it sailor ripley out of wild at heart david lynch there you go <laughs> oh <laughs> awesome good music like his jacket That's what nope, go for.
1: very understandable what fictional character would you not like to meet
2: Jason. Jason
4: Voorhees and Michael Myers.
3: <laughs>
1: I could see that. Oh, can I
4: add? Can I add a fictional character to the last question?
1: Sure.
4: Leatherface. Sure. He's he's such a poor, sweet baby. I just want to hug him.
3: Yes, our
2: Leatherface, our misunderstood friend.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those, those guys would be probably best to meet under under like a Zoom call situation. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like Kane. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> see What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose?
3: Favorite
1: word or quote? Huh? How about every movie from from every horror movie you ever saw?
4: Ah, let's blow this pop stand
1: <laughs> okay. from
4: Nightmare Four? No, Five. Nightmare five. That's from Nightmare
2: Five. Sorry.
1: Okay. That's I'm good. Gonna,
2: I'm gonna go back to Wild at Heart because I, I say it. It's uh, <laughs> let's stab it and steer. <laughs> <laughs> great
1: lines. That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome, guys. What is your ideal geek occupation?
3: This This
1: mm-hmm. Podcasting.
4: Yeah. Okay. This or actually being in the movies, which I want to be in, so I mean
2: those two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually. So I grew up watching everything, just everything, studying movies, cataloging movies, um, and I, I work in film. So I actually have my geek occupation now. Sometimes I'm on a show that's not geek worthy, <laughs> and sometimes I am. I I'm on a show right now. Well, I'm not going to name it. It's. That's not good, but I'm gonna show right now that I like to describe it. It's a limited series, it's a a true true crime drama that is very interesting in two hours, but we're gonna tell it in nine. (laughs) And then I had my geek out, my biggest geek out moment of film. I was actually ready to quit the show, I was having a terrible time with some personalities on it. And it's a show called Lawless, and I was on the phone with my wife saying. You know, I'll get something else. Uh, It'll be fine. And the uh, PA popped their head into the office and said, did you hear they just hired Gary Oldman? So I knew the part that they just hired him for. And I immediately said, we're going to go... do this movie. It's going to be great. Cause I knew I'd watch Gary Oldman hit a guy in the face with a shovel and shoot a car up with a Tommy gun. <laughs> That's like the ultimate geek. Out the that is. I could see that. Yeah. I could
1: totally yeah. see that. I was there for both. <laughs> that is awesome. What geek occupation would you guys not like to do though? Uh, um, That was a deep sigh.
4: <laughs> I know, like, yeah, movies and and television and podcasting are gig occupations, but, like, define other gig occupations.
3: Just what other occupation would you not like to do, period? Just leave it at that.
4: Work at McDonald's.
1: Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's fine. Sorry to all our listeners. Yeah, who listen yeah sorry, guys. sorry
4: to you guys. What he
1: meant to
2: say was, is he doesn't like geeking out of a monopoly contest. has it? <laughs> yeah, people do that's bad. Um, what would I not want to geek out on? Uh,
1: what kind of career would you not want to? Geek you out know, yeah,
2: really? I think it's the Power Rangers stuff. Like, there's these conventions. I just, I guess, I'm more bent on that. Horror movie, so I think when we get into the conventions where it's a bunch of Power Rangers and stuff like that, I have trouble. (laughs) Okay, sorry, sorry, everybody loves the Power Rangers, I don't mean to single them out (laughs) and and their knockoffs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I remember when my son was into all that. Oh god! Still keeps me up screaming in the middle of the night. I mean, yeah. (laughs) All right, are you guys ready for your final question in the geek seat?
4: Sure, I might be.
1: You might be. This kid is too chipper. I don't know. (laughs) This is getting all right. Well, I know. (laughs) Okay, guys, what is your ultimate geek fantasy?
2: Oh. God, I mean, playing a stormtrooper in one of the like the new season of Mandalorian. If I got if I got to work
4: on I would be. Cool. I have I have I have a petition actually. I have a petition. I've acted asked a couple people about this petition. Um, if there was a Star Wars horror movie, mm-hmm. and I got to work on it, that I would be very happy. I would okay. be very, very happy.
2: That's the new "What's Under the Bed" campaign <laughs> to try to get these folks to make a horror movie in the Star Wars universe.
3: Ah, wow! Well, I would not be surprised if it happens at some
2: point. It should have Disney's yes. lighten up. Yes. <laughs> exactly,
1: and then they'll have the ride at Disney, so it'll be even better. You know. Exactly. Well, guys, I've got some great news for you. You've made it through the Geek Seek. Congratulations. Yay, huzzah, huzzah. Woo. Mike Gordon, tell the young men what they've
3: won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $12.84.
1: <laughs> but it's not in real cash anyway, so it's not uh, it's a big fine. deal. It's
3: fine. Um, guys, it has been amazingly fun having you guys on the show. Um, real quick, where can people find you, find out what you're doing, and uh, see all your interviews?
4: YouTube. Um, it It's kind of difficult to what? get on it, but if you search um, what's under the bed with Dax, it'll show up. Dax, D-A-X. Uh, yeah, Dax, D-A-X. A lot of people confuse it with Dax. It is not Dax. <laughs> and,
2: uh, and also Instagram. Is
4: the- also Instagram, which is, I think, just at what's under the bed.
2: With,
3: okay. with
4: Dax. With Dax. Gotcha
3: gotcha well we will uh we'll have links in our show notes so that people can click on those and instantly go there so they don't have to search th- that hard so yeah guys thanks so much for joining us it's been a blast thanks
4: for having thank us. you I appreciate
1: it. guys it's been a blast let's take a quick break and we're gonna go from horror to downton abbey we're gonna go a little more highbrow now folks <laughs> so let's take a two- quick break to regroup and we'll be back Working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an
0: Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment And as is so often the case I, I do have to start with a farewell Only 21 years old But changed the music industry forever The Apple iPod In 2004 it was 60% of the MP3 market And today... It is discontinued by Apple. When the last iPod touches are gone from the shelves, the iPod will be no more. So we salute you, iPod. And in other news, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame present new inductee Rob Halford of Judas Priest has a book coming out November 1st called Biblical, described as an encyclopedia and manifesto of metal. Publisher's note says tours to tattoos, riffs to riders. Drugs to Devil Horns. Uh, he's known for his sense of humor and having a, a wise eye for things in the music industry, so it should be a very interesting read. And Rock and Roll Hall of Fame future, uh, Cindy Lauper, who I think has a good chance of being nominated and inducted in the next few years, uh, is taking a route that has proven very beneficial for acts that are interested in getting into the hall. She has a documentary in production now. Called Let the Canary Sing. It'll be directed by Allison Elwood, who is the director of the Go Go's documentary that was considered um, just the turning point in getting the uh, attention of the hall and speeding their induction along from last year. In other news, June 4th, uh, the Platinum Party at the Palace will take place. A uh, rock concert to celebrate the Platinum Jubilee of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. It'll be broadcast by the BBC from Buckingham Palace. Uh, You can also watch it on iPlayer. Uh, Many, many acts. Huge lineup uh, includes Elton Duran Duran, Rod Stewart, Alicia Keys, who isn't British, uh, and How Could You Do It Without Queen and Adam Lambert. Uh, the Spinal Tap sequel, all these years later, there will be a Spinal Tap sequel to celebrate the 40th anniversary. It'll come in 2024 with the original band members and whoever they have drumming at the time. And also turning 40, Michael Jackson's Thriller will turn 40 this November. Uh, there will be a two-CD, two-album uh, reissue with the original material and also uh, a disc of demos and bonus material that has not been described yet. So we will wait to hear what that involves, but you can pre-order it now. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. Check out my blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we'll catch you next time.
2: At the 42Cast, we want to bring you everything, and that's why we've jam-packed the next few months with as much as we can. You not only get the same reviews, topics, and interviews that you did before, You also get screen reads, where we compare a movie to its source material, or role models, where we talk about tabletop gaming. It's never been a more exciting time to check out our show. It's your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything, so why not check it out? We can be found on most podcasting platforms, and we are a proud member of the ESO Network.
6: Life is full of plot twists along the way. I've come into possession of a villa in the south of France. What? You never thought to turn it down? Do I look as if I'd turned down a villa in the south of France?
5: Times
7: change and we must change with them. Oh, I like the sound of that.
1: Downton Abbey, a new era.
0: The modern world comes to Downton. drink <laughs> to <laughs>
2: The grand event begins only in theatres. There may be new faces
7: coming in, but the public won't want to say goodbye to all their old favorites
1: you can all look this way please this friday you steer ahead you're the captain now welcome to modern times return to the
2: theater all the camera and action For the ending that will leave you breathless.
0: Granny, you would tell me, wouldn't you? What do you think?
2: We've been
6: there for the story of their lives. I'm not quite ready to say goodbye to Downton. Women like us fall into two categories, dragons and fools.
1: Be there for the epic chapter that cannot be missed.
6: You must make sure they think of you as a dragon.
1: Welcome back to our station one. Now it is time for Doughton Abbey, a new era. Michael, take it away, dosa
3: All right. Yes, sir. I'm not even going to. You know, I was thinking about doing the English thing, but I don't think that's appropriate now. But um, uh, we do have our movie person with us. I'm part of our movie crew. Ashley is here, of course.
6: Hello. I am. Always excited for a chance to talk about Downton Abbey. Yeah, I thought she was gonna
3: support the English accent as well.
6: But Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm not even gonna try that. I wanna hear
1: a mix between her Kansas and (laughs) English accent. That would be awesome. (laughs)
6: yeah (laughs) I got nothing
0: so
6: (laughs) I learned from my I am vengeance segments like just don't do voices on the show or it may haunt you later
3: (laughs) that was a big that was a big ratings boost for us come on no uh I'm sorry Ashley you were gonna say
6: um yeah so I know people know me primarily for my Star Wars fandom but Downton Abbey is another um fandom near and dear to my heart so I'm really excited to be returning to Downton to talk about another movie
3: Absolutely, yeah. This is the second Downton Abbey movie. Uh, this is a uh, direct sequel uh, to um, the one that came out in 2019, so three years ago. Uh, and that was just called Downton Abbey, which, of course, was a follow-up to the series. It involves uh, nearly almost all the same characters just moving forward, moving the franchise forward. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, what were your expectations going into this one? This one, behind the scenes, had, of course... Uh, delays due to the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of people seem pretty satisfied. Uh, but the, uh, 2019 movie, it seemed like a great ending to the franchise if it was going to, if it was going to indeed end that way. But, um, what were your thoughts about going into this one? Was it necessary? Did you know what to expect? Ashley?
6: Yeah, so um, I would say my expectations for this were pretty low, but I don't mean that in a bad sense. Basically, the bar it had to clear for me was seeing my favorite characters, seeing Downton Abbey, hearing that theme music again, and I would be satisfied. Because basically, I feel like the show itself ended on a pretty nice note and then the movie wrapped even more stuff up. So I wasn't really sure kind of what additional things this movie needed to cover. But again, like I love these characters. This is my all time favorite show. And so of course I'm going to jump at a chance to see this again. I would say in terms of film quality, I feel like the first movie is maybe a little bit better just in terms of its story. It felt a little bit tighter, a little bit more focused, but again, I had a great time uh, watching this. And if there's a third Downton Abbey sequel, you know I'll be back for that too. <laughs> uh,
3: Mike, what about you? What uh, what were your thoughts uh, going into this one?
1: For me, it was – there was no expectations. It was seeing old friends. It was seeing people that I knew intimately in a lot of ways. I saw a lot of them grow up. You saw a lot of them mature and you saw them in high points and low points through a, the f- few seasons that we did um, see on PBS or that we got to see um, in the last movie. And you got to see you know, them grow even more so in the movie. And having them come back for this film was wonderful. It was like – You know, it was like a warm blanket was put on you on a cold night and everything. It was comfort. It was – there was no – nothing I was worried about seeing explosions or anything like that. Like, you know, in the last movie, I felt like it was a little – there were some things that were a little forced, like the assassination attempt on the king. And Tom just happened to be the person to, you know, help break it up and everything. And – You know, it was, this was just, this was wonderful. It was seeing, you know, seeing people I cared about and seeing relatives or friends that I haven't seen in three years and they're back. And I had to, I got to go to the French Riviera with them. It was wonderful. (laughs)
3: Yeah. um, I think that was the sort of the, the greatness of the last movie or the 2019 movie was the fact that it, because it was on the big screen, because it was a movie, they wanted to go bigger. So of course it's got the big Royal visit, which is, makes it, uh, I think plot wise, a big deal for, so worthy of the big screen. Um, they threw in, of course, the assassination attempt, um, you know, because it's a movie, I guess, and they felt like they needed a little bit of action there. Um, this one, they scale back a lot, I think. It just seems like we're going back to Downton Abbey, like, the show. Um, uh, you know, um, so, I like you guys. I was like, you know, if they keep making these, I'll keep going, because I like the cast, I like the, the creators, um, I love melodrama, um, and this is well done melodrama. Um, you know, I, I love the the the. And this is not. The, it, it may be a movie, but it's not shot like a movie. It's shot like a TV series. It's shot like a melodrama because you you get those scenes, which just you know, sort of like one character says to another, it's like I've got something to tell you, and then it cuts to the next scene. You know, the other and the other person's like you know like, and then that other scene, something happens between two characters, like oh yeah, well. I won't let you get away with it. And then it cuts to like, it's just like melodrama, like cliffhanger scenes after cliffhanger scenes. And I think that structure is really wonderful to play with. And these guys do it great. Uh, Julian Fellows does a great job. And as long as he's writing them and part of this, uh, I'm, I'm bored. Um, so the fact that it was called a new era made me think that this was going to be a turning point. Uh, maybe a a sort of passing of the torch from one uh, generation of the cast members of characters to another. Um, And I will say offhand, like just straight away, um, I don't think we really got that. I think this was more of a closing of this era rather than the opening of a new one. Um, Certainly with, and yes, if we haven't said it already, there is going to be spoilers in this review. Um, But, you know, the, the big, um, the Dowager Countess uh is it meets her end in this one, which is the thing that I think everybody everybody's been watching this series, been aware of this series, has been thinking, when is she going to pass? And uh, you know, we thought it was gonna happen in the last movie, we thought it was gonna happen in the season finale, we you know, we just you know, especially after the events of the last movie, we thought, okay. Maggie Smith is not coming back at all to this and here she does. Um, but she finally gets her death scene in this and uh, it's so powerful. It took my, my whole cinema out, uh, like, like for real, like when, when this happened, when that event happened in the movie, like oh, my cinema lost a complete power. So I did not actually get to see the last few minutes of the movie, but it was a big, big moment. And let's, let's go with, for that, uh, because that's probably the biggest thing that happens here. Um, Ashley, what, did that scene work for you? Was it worthy of, uh, all the sort of lead up that we've been expecting for this
6: moment? Yeah, I was pretty sure that we were going to be seeing some variation of this scene in the movie, just based on the fact that um, we learned at the end of the last film that she had an illness. And so I figured at some point we were going to get that. And I appreciated that they were able to show her whole family gathered around her, I think, just describes her legacy. Like, she is the one who helped build this And then now she's passing it on to her granddaughter, Mary. So I've really enjoyed seeing the relationship of the Dowager and Lady Mary developing over the years and just get to see the passing of that torch. And um, I thought it was nice too that the uh, last frame of the movie just focuses on a portrait of the Dowager in the house. So it shows that even though she's gone now, Her presence isn't physically there. Her legacy will live on. So I thought that was a nice way to honor her. And as hard as it was to see the death of that character, I don't think it would have been appropriate to have that happen off screen in between the two movies. I think it was something that needed to be shown and show the impact of how that impacts the family. And then I also appreciate that they showed um, the people downstairs, how that impacted them too. like, Carson has worked for her basically his whole life, so I thought it was nice that it showed what her presence meant to basically everyone who had passed through that house at some point or another
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mike what did you how did you feel about that particular scene and that that event happening in this movie
1: It's interesting because. I fully expected her to be gone by the time this movie had started, Mm. that it was going to happen off screen. And maybe the movie would open with her funeral or something. Exactly. Exactly. And said, we had a a wedding, you know, which made it real interesting. (laughs) Psych. (laughs)
3: Here we're going, we're going, we're zooming in on the church. We're zooming in on the church. What's happening? Oh, it's a wedding. It's
1: a wedding. (laughs) Well, exactly. And it was, it was just very interesting that you had, The whole thing with, you know, her death being so powerful because it – her energy so overwhelmed this whole movie. She – it felt like she was almost in every scene even when she was not on screen because she was the main topic. You know, what – you know, was Robert, you know, the – you know, a French bastard basically (laughs) and, you know, the (laughs) – and it would have been – very interesting to see you know with that and I like how everyone played it off and I thought her death scene was beautiful she was surrounded by her family and her loved ones and it was it was perfect it couldn't have gotten any better the scene and Maggie Smith played it wonderfully and she was you know she she's wonderful in whatever she does and You know, there were scenes I felt like, you know, was she even really there? You know, it almost looked like with the cutaways and everything, you know, that they have to film her her scenes separately or something like that. But it was just really well done. And, you know, her, you know, dying happy and everyone being, you know, around her, it was a sad occasion, but... It was also a happy occasion because everything had come to a close and it was all, everything, all the answers were, were answered and it came all full circle. She came, she was in peace and Mm -hmm. it was, it was wonderful. And, you know, literally, you know, she was talking one moment and then she was gone Mm -hmm. and, you know, nobody can ask for anything better than that, you know, other than to live forever. But that's a whole different story.
3: I don't know. Taking out a whole theater uh when it happens that was pretty powerful yeah so um i you know i you know i i feel bad for you guys because you guys didn't get that moment like i did um but uh no
1: but we know <laughs> th- what happens <laughs> in the after credit <laughs> scene. five you extra don't. minutes <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly <laughs> um I don't know. I'm sort of mixed feelings about it, to be honest with you. Um, Michelle, who went to the movie with me, uh, she went to the first movie with me, but she did not watch the series, at least much at all. She was aware of it. She watched bits here and there, but she enjoyed the first movie a lot. Um, This one, she said she didn't enjoy as much. um, And the scene, uh, the death scene didn't really work for her. Now, I don't know if it's because she's not as invested as the character as we are, um, but I will say that um, I there's a couple of things that kind of, I say tarnished it for me a little bit. One was the fact that they kept sort of talking about her imminent death, like through the whole movie. Like it was just like gonna like, almost like they were scheduling a party like, Oh yeah, we have to make sure we're done with this by the time. Like it was just so weird that it, they, they sort of referred to her, this event happening in a way that just, I didn't think was very comfortable to me. Um, and uh, I did like the fact that a lot of all the characters, the whole family was around her. I thought that was I mean, that was nice. I mean, you don't want her a character like that to die alone. I mean, that would have been really tragic. So um, the fact that she had the family around her was nice. Uh, but for a character that's known for her zinger one liners, I, I do think that the last thing she said, uh, I can't even hear myself die fell flat for me. It didn't really work as well as some of the other things that she said. Um, and as far as last lines goes, I was kind of thinking that would, that, that it just didn't work for me as well. So, so those two things um, kind of marred it for me, but I thought the, the staging of it and everything else about it. And I do like the fact that the plot, or at least one of the main plots of this movie was, was exploring her past a little bit more because Throughout the whole series, we really didn't, we still didn't really know much about her. So it's interesting that we learned more about her in this final movie than we probably did in the entire series combined, really. Um, But uh, Mike, to your point, Maggie Smith, uh, you know, um, I can't say enough good things about her. It's amazing that she had this opportunity late in life to become such a huge uh almost like pop culture figure relevant again now granted she did the harry potter movie so granted she's going to have a cult following because of those but even more so with this character she if she had you know if that was the only thing that she's ever done was this she would her you know her legacy would live on for a long time and to have this be i don't know what her i think she's really A lot younger than she looks in in the movie like she's like the character that she plays is a lot older so i don't think maggie smith is in any danger of i don't think we're losing her anytime soon at least i hope not so i don't know what uh, the her career is going to be like after this that she is going to do more things or if she's going to retire or whatever but i will say if this is the last thing she does i can't i can't imagine she could find better work uh, because even though I wasn't exactly satisfied with the death scene, there are some scenes in here where she's uh, talking to Mary, the scenes where she's with Mary and the scenes where she's with. Um, oh, what's her friend's name? I can't. Uh, the, um, uh, what The is her name? Uh, help Elizabeth. me out. Yes. Uh, the scene where they where she sort of like talks freely about her with Isabel I thought was amazing like uh you know when Maggie's looking at when she's looking at the young picture of herself uh the dowager is and and reminiscing about all that she's just man she's so skilled and you just look at and you're like you know it's not it's it, yeah it's the writing but it's Maggie Smith who's bringing this character alive and um I think she does an incredible job and this movie is a great tribute to her But there's other things that happen in this movie, uh, including a uh, a sort of plot that uh, I imagine that this is sort of like sort of true to life. That just like the film crew goes in in films at um, the real location of uh, of Downton Abbey, which I can't remember the name of now. And that's uh, people who are listening to this, if they're Downton Abbey fans, are screaming at me. Do you guys know what the real.
1: Uh, I'm just letting you dangle there Mike so.
3: yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it's escaped uh, my mind too so you're uh, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah so we're you're, yeah we're, we're real big fans folks um but uh <laughs> but you know how uh you know I think they've felt it obtrusive, especially with the fans coming and all that sort of thing, and they become like a pop culture thing in themselves um so you 've got this interruption um but necessary because they need the money, but this also sort of glimpse at film history about the 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 uh Sort of the same plot as Singing in the Rain of uh, the transition between silent and and talking pictures. And now, Ashley, what did you, how did you feel about that storyline?
6: Yeah, um, I was intrigued by the fact that they were going to do a movie about making a movie. I was worried that it could become a little too meta, but I think it worked because it plays in to that whole idea of legacy at Downton Abbey. How is the Abbey going to change over time? How does the family keep pace with the modern era? And one of those, again, how do you continue to have enough money to pay for this grand estate to keep going? So they opened it up to have a film crew come in. And it was, yeah, just interesting to see that, like you said, that bit of history as the move from silent films to talking pictures. And I really like that um, Lady Mary got a chance to sort of be in the movie and that she provided... The voiceover. I don't know that that's something that season one Mary in the show would have had anything to do with, but it's kind of fun to see her personality loosen up and get a little more flexible. And I think she actually had quite a fun time providing the voiceover. But yeah, it was interesting to see, like, again, sort of a little bit of commentary on how the show is filmed at this real place and you had this Hollywood film crew coming into Downton and seeing the uh, some of the people get all starstruck. And I loved seeing Mr. Mosley's the <laughs> light at the filming and that he even has apparently a hidden talent as a film script writer. So I have always adored Mr. Mosley been rooting for him. So I was excited to see him get to uh, expand his skills on the silver screen. But yeah, I, I thought it was charming the everything to do with the film taking place at Downton Abbey.
1: And Mosley's proposal scene was just oh my so goodness. classic. Yeah. It's like <laughs> classic Mosley, right?
6: Yes. Oh, like it yes. had to go that way. Like it wouldn't have been Mr. Mosley if it hadn't been awkward and touching at the same time. So uh,
3: by the way, hi Claire Castle, Is uh, the actual is is, is the real location? uh, uh, You know, uh, about five miles south of Newbury, Berkshire. Um, So, uh, yeah. So, sorry about that, everybody. Uh, I did look it up, Um, but yeah. um, What did you think, Mike, of the uh, film
1: storyline? I enjoyed it, and because, like you, you had said, it is very, in some ways, very, very true to life. You know they they're running out of money you know yes they're ultra wealthy and everything but the upkeep of the house is monumental keeping a full staff and this is right about the time when the great depression hits and you know we were talking off the air that world war 2 is around the corner, but they're right at the be- right before the beginning of the great Depression, and that just wasn't here in the u s it was worldwide and so it's it's very interesting to see, so they were pretty desperate for movie you know the movie money and everything and You know, it was funny as hell when they went up into the attic and Mary had to show the father, you know, we have bins up here, you know, catching water because there's so many leaks. We need the money to fix the roof of the house. And it's just – it was just awesome to see that. You know, it's a little peek at, you know, hey, there's a little bit of reality here, folks. And I thought the movie – Industry coming in and everything was very, very fun. And a lot of the silent stars went through what that young lady was going through with because they didn't have to talk in the, you know, they could just, you know, mouth what they were saying because there was no sound being recorded. So they could have, you know, very thick accents or very, you know, very bad diction or even, you know, and so it was just very interesting to see, you know, that Mary was able to step in with the very highbrow, you know, voice and, and everything to be able to do that. And some people were not able to make the transition, even big well-known actors like Charlie Chaplin and stuff were not able to. So it's, you know, it's, it was very interesting to see that in this movie and I enjoyed that a lot because, you know, being a studying film in college and we, we had to study that. We actually had to read books about, you know, a lot of the stars of that era having to make the transition and, you know, jazz singer and other films like that were the big transitions with sound. And it was so popular with the audiences that, you know, silent films almost disappeared overnight. So it was just really, really interesting to see.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, like Mike, I'm a big film guy and, and uh especially the silent era. I, I, I enjoy silent movies. I took a course in it in college and um, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to later this year, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be reviewing Nosferatu, which celebrates its hundredth year anniversary this year. So um very amazing. Um, and this transition, especially in Britain is one that I'm interested in as well because uh, Alfred Hitchcock uh, did the first, is credited with the first talkie in, in in Great Britain, a, mo- a movie called blackmail, which he made originally as a uh, silent movie, but because talkies were doing so well, he was forced to uh, make it into a, the first talkie. So, and they did much of the same things that you see in this movie where they, um, you know, had the scenes that they had filmed silently, but they added dialogue to. So uh, I thought that was really interesting. I guess, I guess they couldn't have had this movie be blackmail though, because Alfred Hitchcock would not have been as nice. It uh, would, would have not been as nice of a character, maybe to lady Mary, <laughs> then the guy that they actually got. Uh But um I did find all of that interesting uh you know it's funny because they they drive by and the 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 uh the the talkie the very one of the very early talkies that everybody's going to is the terror nineteen twenty eight uh Unfortunately, that movie does not exist um and a lot of the early movies from then i think uh only thirty percent of the silent movies that were made then exist now. Which is just a, amazing uh, in and of itself, and a lot of the early talkies don't exist either. So, so it was kind of a nice piece of history that uh, you know when they were going by and looking at the terror, because not a lot of people are aware of that movie either, because no one's seen it <laughs> in almost a hundred years. So, um, but I liked the idea of the the plot. I thought it was really interesting because um, it, yes, it does have a little bit of. Um, uh, relevancy to the way it's filmed, uh, the way Downton Abbey's filmed. By the way, let me just do it a weird tangent to see if you guys noticed this, but I don't know if it was because of the pandemic and they had to change things around, but it seemed like there were some weird scenes that were either they look like maybe they were using some sort of technology like rear projection or something or CG where they weren't really there or they weren't in the same room together or like the the one scene... In where they uh, where the father is showing Mary how the damage or the Mary showing her dad uh, the uh, damage in the roof that looked really small like it really looked like it was like filmed in a closet and I and I was kind of struck by just some of the, the the way that this was filmed it some of it looked odd and, and struck me as weird did you guys experience that as well or
1: I didn't notice that as much no no it. Maybe it was the theater because the power was going out of your theater. <laughs> but well, I no. noticed
3: it the first few minutes. And, and you know, I mean, they love having those, like, sweeping aerial drone shots of the castle in all the locations, right?
1: Oh, there so. were some amazing shots. The cinematography in this movie was truly beautiful between showing the the house or the villa in mm-hmm. France. Yeah was just astounding. Like there was one scene they were coming in over the water and everything. And it was just like, wow, that was a great shot, you know, and everything. And it's like, hmm, this could have been seen in IMAX. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh,
3: um, speaking of the, uh, you know, the sequence with the, or the storyline with the, um, the filming, uh, we've had, we have Hugh Dancy introduced as Jack Barber in this movie. He's one of the um, uh, new characters. Uh, Hugh Dancy is is currently on the new uh, season of Law and Order. Uh, since its return, he's he's come back as a character. He's a character there. Uh, he's American. He has an American accent in that. Uh, he's really English, I think. So, um, But I'm not sure if I'm really a fan of Hugh Dan- Dancy or not. So I'm wondering what you guys think of him because I, I could – he doesn't win me over. I'm glad that it didn't turn into another love story with Lady Mary. I thought that uh, you know he was infatuated, and yet she sort of uh, just chose not to pursue it. And and you know uh, treat. I, I love the way she treated it. Um, much like I think the Dowager would itself. It it seemed like another characteristic of the Dowager that she's taking in. Uh, um, But how did you feel about uh, Hugh Dancy as a character and as the actor, Ashley?
6: Yeah, I felt he was fine, and I really like that comparison you just made between uh, Lady Mary and the Dowager. I never thought of it that way, but I think that you're right. That is a really interesting parallel. I was also a little worried that they were going to try to make it into a love story. I felt that would have been too much to do in just like basically a two hour movie. But I liked that um, he respected Lady Mary and kind of looked at her as an ally throughout the filming and asked her advice. Again, I think just sets up that, She really is good at this. Like, I love Robert dearly, but as we have seen in the past series, he's not the best at managing, at finances, or kind of keeping things going. I think Mary is naturally gifted in that area, so it's really cool to see other characters um, respecting her and looking to her in that role. And I think the character of the director kind of helped sell that too that she really is the next uh, leader of Downton somebody to be looked up to
3: yeah Mike what did you feel
1: pretty much the same thing I think you know I was hoping they were not going to create a full love story with Mary and the director and I think they pulled it off perfectly it was a sign of respect for that each one had for each other and even when he went would it be okay if i kissed you and she said no you know she's married even though her husband's a schmuck and you know was nowhere to be seen in this film well, to
3: be fair the actor was filming another movie
1: <laughs> so what
3: <laughs> yes.
6: Man, if someone offered me Downton, I'd drop everything to go film it. So yeah. I don't know what his problem is. Yeah.
1: Mission Impossible 7, like, Downton Abbey. You yeah. know. So it was interesting. And I, I liked how strong of a character she was in this. She was not wishy-washy at all about anything. And she let her opinion know. And like you guys said, she's becoming, you know, what you said she's becoming the next Maggie Smith she's becoming the next you know leader of the house you know it is basically her house now she's the heir until her son is old enough to run the run the whole foundation
3: yeah 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 yeah. Uh, because yeah it was supposed to be hers by birthright and then it was now and then she married into it so it made a non-issue that was the whole plot of that first season or two right yeah I, but I think you're right. I think uh, not only character wise is Lady Mary the center of Downton Abbey going forward, but I think Michelle Dockery is the center of the actor. Like, I think she's the center. Like, you cannot go forward with this franchise without Michelle Dockery, I think.
6: I agree. And. She's been one of my favorite characters throughout the series and films, partly because I have appreciated that they didn't try to sand off all her rough edges. Like, she's a character that's not always likable. She says and does some nasty things, but she's complex. She's complicated. And I really like that they let us see this type of female character on screen.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of drama between her and her sister in this one, but she does get a couple shots in. <laughs>
6: yeah, it's like, it can't be a Downton Abbey movie unless Lady Mary has a zinger for Edith.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, so glad they've softened Edith up because she was such an unlikable character for the first couple seasons of the show. And, you know, they've, you know, made her more soft. They made her a mother. They've made her a journalist. And, you know, finally a wife. And I think she's played it off really, really well. And, you know, she, her, her role is very minimal in this film overall. And I was okay with that. I really was, you know, and it was interesting to see what she, you know, that, you know, Edith was there, but there wasn't any drama around her, which was nice.
3: Right. Right. Yeah. Um I think they sort of, wanted there to be a little bit but it just didn't it fell a little flat because it's like it's like yeah she it's okay if she goes back to work there's no like nobody's yeah. arguing yeah. <laughs> everybody's like good for you no. like, i think i'm gonna go back to work they were like yes you should good
1: on <laughs> you buddy
6: yeah, yeah there you go a non-issue
3: all right so i like that storyline a lot uh the filming at doubt and i thought that was really a great centerpiece uh the two other story there's two and there's another little subplot that go on and and those didn't work as strongly for me. Um, although I did like the fact that the Dowager was uh, referenced and and was the center of this other story. That you know um, you know she inherits this uh, villa in France because of she had some sort of relationship with a uh, French count marquis something like that, right? Um, and uh, then there's some question as to as you pointed out, Mike, uh, how legitimate uh, Robert is as far as uh, as a son, um, and whether he's not whether or not he should be the seventh Earl of Grantham, right? Like that's a big deal. Like like um, you know, I mean, if Lady Mary hadn't married into like that would that would throw the whole thing in the question, really. Um, but uh, I I I thought it was intriguing. I like seeing the villa in France. I thought there was some nice moments there, but ultimately it kind of just didn't go anywhere because it just turned out to be not true, and it just it just sort of didn't feel like it worked for me as well. Although it did give Maggie Smith a lot of, lot to work with uh, in her final scene, so I did like that part of it. But as far as all the stuff in France going on with the kids and with Robert, um, I did like the one scene where Robert breaks down because we've never seen that before, I don't think, where Robert just breaks down because he's losing his mother, he's losing his name, And then he finds out that he might be losing Cora. And that, that, that's, I think that's the moment where I broke watching Mm -hmm. this because I was like, oh my God, this is too, too sad. Um, But what did you feel about the whole uh, French villa uh, sort of illegitimate son sort of thing going on? Uh, Ashley?
6: Yeah, I would agree with your assessment that I, the, Filming at Downton was my favorite of the various little plots going through this movie. But yeah, I it would have been interesting if the Dowager had been able to travel, I think, to the villa and see that place. I understand why they didn't do that because of her illness. I don't know that it would have made sense plot-wise right. for her to make that journey. But I think it would have given the scenes a little more meaning if we had seen her there in this space where she spent the time and um, maybe if she had been the one to find the portrait of herself, I think maybe that would have meant a little bit more if she could have traveled there and then she could have met um, the Marquis son. I think that would have been a really interesting moment in the story. If she had gotten to go there and see him.
3: Yeah. The Marquis and the madam and his mother, Madame Montmoreau. uh, did not really do much for me. I I could have taken or leaving them to be honest with you. Um, but um, and ultimately, like I said, we just kind of leave them. <laughs> like I don't think we're ever gonna. You know, we might see them again. Who knows? But I don't really. I'm not really itching to. Uh, but Mike, what about you? What? Uh, how did you feel about all of that going on? I mean, it looked beautiful. I you know I'm not I'm not a big guy of uh, wanting to go to France anytime soon. But man, if I could go to the French, if I had a French villa like that, I I'd, I'd certainly want to use it.
1: Oh, very much so. And, you know, back then it wasn't just as easy to, you know, take a train to France like you can now. Right. But, you know, it's it's really interesting that, you know, what was going on. And I did like the storyline about, you know, the whole thing about Robert's, you know, legitimacy. And, you know, like you said, it was it was heartbreaking to see him break down finally. And, you know, especially, you know. Out of, you know, Cora, she looked tired in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, at the, especially, and it was just interesting, like, what's going on with her and everything. And they did – her makeup was really well. They show, made her look more drawn out and more, you know, I hate to say it, haggard in some ways because, you know, she was, you know, fighting what they thought was cancer. And it was interesting when she – you know, that Robert – couldn't have picked it up a little bit, you know, that he couldn't figure out what was going on with her a little bit. He's
3: going through a little bit, though.
1: Yeah, of course, but still, you know, if you know, my wife was like losing weight and looking all drawn out and tired all the time. I'd be a little concerned, even though you know, I was inheriting a French fill. I'd still be, <laughs> you know, worried about it a little bit. But it was just, it was just interesting to think, um, agree completely about. The new characters they introduced in France and everything I thought that was it was the weak part, yeah, and everything the mother like the mother i I expected so much more with the whole thing, but then I was so you know, and it, you know it went nowhere it went nowhere. <laughs> And the attorney saying, "You don't have a case," you know.
3: Yeah, even but, the lawyer's like, "No, you will not sue."
1: You will not sue, and the, the son's like, "No, mother, you will not," you know. And the whole thing, well, you're my brother, and it's like, okay. So I and overall got four other houses. Yeah, they yeah
6: so, they're not <laughs> suffering too
0: much. They though. are definitely not <laughs>
1: suffering. There, I did not feel sorry for them at all. No. And, you know, I think it was more, oh, I'm not giving to the English. You know, that was more what was going on. And the scenes there were beautiful. The party was awesome. And Carson is just so damn thick headed, you know, (laughs) you know, you know, and watching him sweat his butt off because he was wearing wool in the heat and everything. And it was it was just funny.
3: Yeah, the uh, uh, one thing I did not uh, know, which was an in-joke, was in the movie, of course, has that scene where Mr. Carson and Lady Bagshaw are mistaken for a married couple. Um, what I didn't know was that the actor and actress have been married in real life since, like, the 80s. So, yep. Like That
6: was a fun little <laughs> yeah. inside joke.
1: That's what yeah. I loved about it because it's like, oh, what? And Judy was, like, whispered to me. Aren't they married in real life? It's like, yes.
3: Which I, I thought was was really quite funny. Uh the other thing, uh speaking of relationships, is uh this is the first Doubtn Abby movie episode, whatever, that's directed by Simon Curtis, uh who is married to Elizabeth McGovern. Um, and so you would think, you know, if your husband is directing you, then you're going to be, like, presented as, like, the most beautiful way possible. And instead, <laughs> she is sickly. She is uh, looking tired all the time. She's probably, like, the worst she's ever looked on screen. It's like, thanks for doing directing me in that movie, um, Simon. But...
1: I, hey, furthermore, he didn't write the script. Talk to Julian true, about that. Yeah,
3: furthermore, I think uh, I think Ashley, you pointed this out in your your article. I think we've been through this road before with Cora, so it felt like unnecessary a, a retread. Especially since at the end, it really didn't mean that. I mean, I was like, certainly we're not going to lose both of these characters in the, Like they're both not going to die at the end of this movie. Um So it just seemed like it was unnecessary. Like it's bad enough that we're all thinking that. You know, we're, that that the Dowager is going to pass away, but we didn't need that extra like person to worry about, I think, either.
6: And it was weird to me, too. I just recently finished rewatching the series and uh, Lord Merton, uh, the guy that Isabel marries, he also had uh, pernicious anemia. So it was interesting ah, that they reused right, right. that same disease that they reused. So I just thought that was a really kind of unusual choice to repeat like a plot point they did not that long ago.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of retread there, not necessary. You could have spent that time that they split, did with that. And cause I think if it was on a, like if they had a time to explore this as a series, then we would have gotten to know the French madam and the Maquilles yeah. a bit more. And we probably could have sided with her a little bit understood what she was going through, why she was so upset about losing the villa, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we don't get that moment. Instead, she just looks like a one-dimensional French witch. Uh, so wow. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Um. You know. Well, she's she's French. You know. And and like Carson says, the thing about the French is that they're so French. French. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh apologies to all our French listeners. Um. So uh anything else I I did? um, Yeah. Anything else about this particular movie that you want to point out, Ashley?
6: Um, It was nice to see uh, Tom Branson, um, kind of his continuing storyline. Like he has been kind of next to Lady Mary. His character arc is one of the most fascinating to me. He starts as a chauffeur and then causes a huge scandal when he marries the family's daughter and They don't really want anything to do with him, But then you have the death of Sybil tragically um, right after childbirth. And so then you have Tom is still kind of connected to the family. And over the years, how they genuinely come to respect and care about each other. And he is a member of the family. And then the fact that the Dowager wants to leave this villa to his daughter to make sure that she feels like, she's included in a part of the family and has an inheritance, so I thought it's been that was cool to see them kind of put aside some of their prejudices and uptight ways for lack of a better way <laughs> to put it and really bring him into the family so that was nice to see
1: it was nice to see the wedding at the very beginning
6: yeah, and
1: mm-hmm. it was it was wonderful to see that, and you know then him finding out that he's going to be a papa again with his new wife and it 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 was nice and it's nice to see good things happen for tom I yeah really very happy about that mm-hmm. and because you know he's had such what happened with sybil and then mm-hmm. and everything and it's just like all right because the family could have banned him you know oh yeah after sybil passed away and everything oh sure and,
3: Sure, I think I think uh, Dowager and, and <laughs> wanted to. I think you know because they they really went. You know that was a nice scene between them too. Uh, <laughs> she uh, they definitely made sure that Dowager sort of made amends, if you will, or made peace with everybody yeah. before she went, which <laughs> was kind of contrived, but also we I think we wanted that. I mean, we definitely wanted that. So, um, all right. So this is called the new era. Like I said in the beginning, I felt like this was more the closing of this era and more than the opening of a new one. Although it does open up at the end of this, that does look like a lot of characters that we've grown to like, um, are, if not leaving already, um, could leave. So the next iteration of Downton Abbey, whatever we get, might have like a lot less people in it that we know. Um, uh you know there's a, like a lot of characters both upstairs and downstairs that are going on their separate ways and and moving forward so um what do you think is next for Downton Abbey what do you want to see um uh you know any characters that you want to see continue or make sure that they are in the next iteration whatever that is ashley what that, what do we, what, do you, what what do you feel about this franchise going forward or do you think it's just done
6: Yes. Well, Julian Fellows, if you're listening, call me because I have ideas. Um, (laughs) I would uh, love to see a movie where the Downton crew goes to America because Mm. you have that little plot line there of Thomas is going to be moving to Hollywood. And then their cousin Rose, I believe, is living in America with her husband and Cora's mother lives in America. So I think that could be a really interesting seeing these characters in a completely different environment. And then in the future, I would also be interested in seeing um, how the Downton crew adapts to the World War II era. When you think about what age the children like George Sibby and Marigold will be during that time, you know, young adults going through World War II, much the same as their parents were going through World War I. And I don't even know like with Downton Abbey being in the country if you would have where they would send children um, away from the city like of London during the Blitz when the Germans were dropping all the bombs if they would have opened that up as a refuge to people looking to escape the bombs in the city. So I think that there's Still um some interesting stories that they could tell uh with these characters going forward.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, what about you?
1: I'm kind of on the same page as with, with Ashley. But you, it mean, you want to see
3: you want to see Hollywood Barrow?
1: of course. You know, the that's <laughs> the adventures of Hollywood Barrow.
3: Bar- Barrow goes to Hollywood.
6: There you go. <laughs> wow,
1: the sunset strip will never be the same.
6: I uh
3: but yeah, Man, that that is going to be for mature audiences. For
6: sure. yeah. <laughs> don't bring your kids to this one, folks. <laughs>
1: no, I see Quentin Tarantino taking that one over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um it's going to be very interesting. I don't know how far into the future they want to go cuz like we we said this is 1928-29. And, you know, this is around the time of the Great Depression. So you have, if they go to the United States in like the early Mm. 1930s, it's going to be a far different place than what they have in Downton. And, you know, the country had, you know, all the long bread lines. They had all the, you know, it was still a couple years off before FDR started, you know, the, you know, the, the deal with america and anything like that and it was it was just very interesting to see what their reactions would be to it um and i'm i'm curious for it and i definitely would love to see it i'd love to see more of what happens with the characters but that would be it would probably also be a much smaller cast or mm-hmm. different cast members because you know some of the cat you know if they go too far that they 're going to get rid of a lot of the older cast members and stuff. you might not see Lord Grantham and you know Clara, and you might not see um, you know some of the other the, some of the folks downstairs, even you might be much older you know, and you know it 's going to be very interesting to see you know what they do because if they go to World War two. Um, With what's going, because the bombing of World War in World War II started late 1939 and into 1940, and that's 10 years in their future. And like you said, you know, the kids are going to be young adults at that point, and you know, then they're they're going to have to deal with are they going to be drafted into the Mm -hmm. British Army, like you know, because you know that's what happened in that's how Barrow lost you know had got his hand shot to get out of the army and you know item other items like that and the house was made a hospital in you know during mm. world war 1 but ashley said it perfectly they might be it might be used as a refuge for the children from from london to mm. you know be you know hidden from the blitz and everything cuz they literally shipped the kids out of out of london to help spare them or anything. So it's a very good possibility. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a third movie eventually. And, but I, you know, be very curious to see where they go with it.
3: Yeah. It definitely seems like if they were going to continue following these characters, um, that they would be, you know, you're going to have to go with more locations. It's not just going to be centered around Downton Abbey itself and the land around there. It's more like, everything else that's going on and with events coming up around the world war two, obviously that makes sense because it's a world war thing and everybody's going to be everywhere. I do think it's interesting. One of the things I thought, well, maybe they're doing this thing about this French villa with giving it to Sibi is that maybe there's some ideas of having, um, you know, Sibi over in France uh while it's being invaded and taken over. And how, what does that look like? Um, So you can get these uh, different sides of world war two, um, uh, these different locations, so uh, I think there are, there's yeah, it's it's endless possibilities, really, where they could. I mean, when can go forward. I think, uh, th- I've shown, I, I don't think that it will be interesting, though. I think the next one definitely should introduce a, a lot of new characters, and that'll be the true test mm-hmm. because we've gotten to know, and like I, as Mike said, we've grown up with some of the, we've seen what some of these actors grow up because if you go back and look like at the first season or scenes from like the early like episodes of this, of this show, and then you watch this movie, you're like, man, <laughs> they look a lot older now. Um, uh, you know, um, they all look healthy and everything. Although Hugh O'Bonneville Bonneville looks like he's lost a lot of weight and not in a great way, I think. But, um, uh, but I think, um, as long as they keep making things, as we said, uh, I'm, I'm game to watch them and they introduce new characters. As long as, uh, like I said, Julian's involved, I, I will have confidence in it um, and I'm open to see. I kind of wish that there'd been a few more characters going forward introduced here, that it, it is a passing of the torch. But this feels more like an end of a chapter or an end of a book. And then the new book, when it starts up, will be, you know, some old, some characters that we're familiar with, but then mostly new ones. Uh, so probably the kids growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I you know, Depression might be interesting to tell those tales if it was a series. But if they're going to do another movie, World War II, I think, is the, is the perfect setting for to see where this goes. So...
1: Be kind of um, interesting if they tied it into Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yeah, that would be.
3: <laughs> well, then you then it gets really weird. Uh, then it gets really weird. So, um, any other thoughts on on and Abbey anywhere?
1: No, I thought you know it was like I walked out of there with a smile on my face, thinking it was so good to see my friends. It was you know this was my family. These are the people I care for. And it was a feel-good movie. And, you know, even though you had a death in it, it was still over. There wasn't explosions. There wasn't, you know, when you walked out of Doctor Strange, I was drained. I was like, oh, man, you know. But this was like, oh. This was nice. This was a nice change. And it was nice not to see a movie where we didn't have dinosaurs or, uh, you know, spaceships or superheroes and stuff. It's sometimes really, really nice for that kind of change.
3: Yeah, uh, Downton Abbey was the number two movie. We didn't even talk about the box office. Sorry, Alex. Uh, but we miss you. Uh, but we didn't even talk about the the box office. Uh, the the uh, U.S. opening weekend was $60 Uh So it was half. I mean, ha- it did way better than anything else in the top ten except for Doctor Strange, which even though it's taking a dive, made twice as much as Downton Abbey did. So, um but I think that was to be expected. I don't think anybody, any of us thought that Downton Abbey was going to be Down, a huge – Downton Abbey huge, is yeah. like
1: alternative programming for summer. It's not a summer movie. Right. The movie would have done better in the fall or yeah. anything, I think. And it the movie did 51.7 million worldwide. Right. So it's, I think it's already made its money. It's oh, it's made its money back already. So it's not like – it's, a, it's a, a total flop. You know, like some of the movies we predicted would be, you know, <laughs> in our summer movie pre- preview, which we'll probably have egg on our face, but that's a whole different story.
3: Plus, its uh, plus its target audience is older and still uncomfortable with going to the theater. Uh, so, I would imagine this is going to be do- – this will do much better when it finally comes to Peacock and is oh, available at home streaming.
1: It's going to be huge on streaming and because Down Abbey has such a huge, huge following. It's w- still to this day, it's one of the biggest – um, shows that it was on Masterpiece, so, on PBS. So, you know, and, you know, that's why they showed it at Pledge Drives and they showed it, you know, because they knew they had the audience for it. And, you know, and those... You know, they'll continue doing that. And I I don't think this is the last we've seen of these characters at all. No, no.
3: For for a, a, at least a, one a,
1: of them, maybe. But
3: You know, we keep saying, like, how everything is franchising out. And I'm surprised that Downton Abbey hasn't franchised out yet. But I think it's only a matter of time that they will. Um, we'll see, you know, spinoffs, prequels, sequels, whatever. So, uh, but whatever it is, we'll be there. Right, Ashley?
6: Yes. Yep. <laughs> any time uh, Down any time.
3: Down any time. So on that note, we'll be right back to close the show. but before that we're going to get creative. <laughs> this Labor Day weekend, fandom is calling. Let Michael, Mike, Darren, and Jen help you answer the call with the latest news, notes, tips, and tricks on the DragonCon Report. Available as an audio podcast, visit dragonconreport.com. And for the first time ever, watch us on video via Facebook Live and YouTube. We want to help you celebrate your fandom in all the best ways. So listen up, and we'll see you at the con.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment. And we're here with our new friend, Jeff Nicholson, welcome to Earth Station One.
7: Hey, hi. Thanks for having me on. Nice to meet you. Tell us a little bit
1: about your new project you got.
7: My, uh, my new project is a, a, um, a sport and comedy comic called um, Jeff of the Juniors.
1: That's awesome. What's it about? What's, you know, wh- is this uh, an ongoing series or is it a brand new one?
7: So this will be, be the first Issue of this series, I've got, I've got previous comics out there, but yeah, this is my new one. It's um, it's just a, I know, a kind of sideways look at grassroots sport. Um, we call it football. You guys call it something
1: else.
7: (laughs) 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 um, Very, very um, true. So grassroots soccer, um, in in Britain and Scotland, is really strange. It's quite funny, and there's lots of bizarre traditions and cultural. So, appropriations that I wanted to just, uh, I to explore and have a laugh about. So,
1: oh, that's awesome! And so, what are you using as your basis? Are you basing it off of real life, or are you?
7: Well, yeah. Um, uh, my and uh, my dad's recently is, um, has become quite unwell, and uh, so I'm trying to spend a wee bit more time with him. And he used to do I thing called it ground hopping, which is I don't know if this such a thing exists in the US. But um, effectively, it just means visiting different football grounds or visiting different sporting
0: establishments.
7: So um, uh, so I've been taking my dad to these games, and it's just interesting because you're um, you're often visiting very small um, sort of uh, local communities um, that have possibly had their best days behind them, you know, their mining communities or um, or sort of steelwork communities. And um, they have all these bizarre traditions and, and interesting, like, approaches to things and it's just yeah so um it's more like it's taking a notebook to these these events and kind of taking notes and people getting really like personally insulted by people criticizing the catering for example or um ah, things like that like people people just being um, i was standing for example standing with my dad watching a game and my dad was it was my first time at this game and my dad was like oh usually the um Usually the goalkeeper's better, but he's playing like an arsehole today. Sorry if I'm not, I swear. He's playing like an a-hole today. it's and, okay. Uh, that's,
1: if out of everything people have said on our show, that's quite mellow. So it's okay.
7: So like, yeah, we're standing watching this game. My dad's like, well, the goalkeeper's playing a bit like an arsehole. And then the old man standing directly next to my dad turned around and was like, yeah, that's my grandson. And uh, I was like, you were like, okay. And then he was like, and he just turned around and shouted on the pitch, and he's playing like an bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so just just obscure kind of a sideways glance at quite an odd, like world that um, I think uh, I think a lot of folk all see. They'll have and, you know. They'll, they'll recognise like their their own community in it. They will recognise the sort of the vibe. And um, and hopefully, we'll really enjoy it, and and hopefully, they'll laugh. It's supposed to be funny, so uh, that you hope well, for. It, it. it is
3: interesting how how sports uh, brings out sometimes the best and worst in people.
7: Oh, totally, totally, and um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Scottish football, in particular, um, I think you could you could have a look at that as a as a sort of institution and, and see that very much. You know, we have. Um, really poor behavior and we also have very very funny um bizarre things like i don't know there was a game on the other week where uh, we had they had to they had to halt proceedings because um a deer walked onto the pitch <laughs> it was just Whoa. you know stuff like, <laughs> and you're like oh okay um
1: <laughs> yeah you but, don't see that here in baseball stadiums or football stadiums you know and everything you might have a, a random bird fly in or something like that, but you don't have a deer come on. St-
7: it just don't, it's just fun. It, grassroots, we're one particular people. Um, I, just interesting things happen all the time, and I just want to kind of celebrate that and collate that, and um, maybe play play around with the cliches a wee bit, and 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 that just create something that other folk would enjoy. So I hope they do. Um, it's on Kickstarter just now, and it has just met its funding goal. So I'm just hoping I can excite more people and see if they and see if other people are interested in it too.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we saw that you uh, reached your goal already. Congratulations on that! But as we like to tell people, just because you've met your goal doesn't mean that uh, you know all is well and nobody needs to to support because you can use all the support you can get plus if you want to get this book it's it's the best way to do that and uh when people are listening to it there's probably not a lot of time left so jump on this when you as as you can uh because jeff as i understand it you're a one man band here right
7: writing art everything putting the book together yeah um yeah absolutely totally self-taught and all those things and i'm i'm part of another podcast where all the guys i I support are, are actually really well established within scottish comics and i felt kind of like imposter syndrome sleeps creeping in so i did i did create my own series but then kind of got tired having to deal with like waiting for people to do things so as I've, I, I I've, I've tried to teach myself um and uh, the comic the comics community is a really it's a really awesome like I, that word is I, I think really um symbolic <laughs> it's really it's, it's a really powerful world because it, it it's a word, because it's some, the community, the common community is amazing. And uh, I've been able to put this thing together, but have one of the best letterers in the UK give me a wee bit of, like, sending them stuff, and then, um, um having guys, uh, having guys that um, i respect looking at my editing for me, and being like, yeah, change that, play around with that. So but, yeah, um I'm trying to do it all as much as I can on my own, um, and it's quite stressful, because, like I say. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's good but you're not kind um, collaborations are really powerful too in in comics or in all walks of life and there is very little of that so I'm having to you know play around with it but also don't want to like spoil my punchlines to my friends and stuff like. <laughs> and, so yeah it's good though I mean um, it seems to be it seems to have caught a wee bit of an imagination from folk as well so,
1: that's awesome that is really awesome. Well, we will have links up to your Kickstarter up on our show notes. So good luck with everything. And I'm very much wishing you the best in everything. And we'll definitely have you back. No, great.
7: Well, thank, you, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, you need to get me back because I love chatting to people oh,
1: Definitely. <laughs> definitely would love to. Let's take a quick break now and we will close up the show.
5: Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm host Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about nerdy makeup collabs that I'm really excited for this summer. There are so many amazing movies and TV shows coming out this summer, and that means lots and lots of merchandise to go along with those franchises. I am really excited for a few of the fun makeup collabs that companies are doing for those nerdy movies and TV shows, since it's way more common to see now than it used to be even like five or ten years ago. Stranger Things has a really fun makeup collab with MAC Makeup. Now, this one is on the pricey side, but there are two fun eyeshadow palettes, two blushes, six lip glosses, and two different makeup brushes, and they are evenly themed for the Hawkins Tigers High School and for the Upside Down. The colors are really great, and the quality of MAC means that these are going to be wonderful to use. Essence Makeup is doing a Jurassic World collab, which is really, really fun looking. I would have gone way more into the looks of the products if I was designing it, but they're still dinosaur themed and that makes me really happy. Also, Essence is a drugstore brand, so the prices will be a lot nicer than the Stranger Things line if you're looking for something a little bit cheaper. The nail polish company China Glaze is also doing a really well thought out Jurassic World collab with the movie. The colors are perfect and really, really fit the dinosaur aesthetic that you would think about. And then, there's lots more Star Wars-themed makeup from ColourPop, this time with a very fun large eyeshadow palette based on the original trilogy, lipsticks, glitter liners, and lots more. And ColourPop's always a nice, affordable brand with very high-quality makeup. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out.
1: that's going to wrap up another episode of the air station one podcast. want to thank everyone for joining us in our talk about Dalton Abbey. Ashley, thank you. Thank you. As always the movie person and the main reviewer here on ESO, you did a great job on your column this time for the website. Really appreciate it.
6: Thank you. Always a pleasure.
1: Anything you want to shout out about?
6: Um, Just a quick shout out, if you are missing Downton already and want some more uh, period drama from Julian Fellows, I have been getting caught up on The Gilded Age on HBO Max. It's another series put together by Julian Fellows, but it's set in America. And so, yeah, it's interesting. It hasn't quite captured my fancy the same as Downton Abbey yet, but I'm only several episodes in. So (laughs) if you're interested more, Go check that out.
1: That could be a great crossover for the next movie.
6: <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, technically could be similar characters. So
1: Maybe, maybe. Uh, thank you, as always. And Mr. Mike, we made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's
3: my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Absolutely. I'm going to give a shout out this week to Ashley. because i recently read a book that she wrote yes ashley wrote a book i don't know if you guys know this i don't know how many people know this ashley but uh i read uh bait and switch which you had done goodness gracious has it been like eight years or whatever
6: it might be 10. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she, was, she was 12 years old when she wrote
6: it? I
5: was a child writer.
3: <laughs> but one of the things that uh, I did during the pandemic, uh, I finally got a chance to just read uh, like, the complete library of uh, home stories by Arthur Conan Doyle. So since I did that during the pandemic, I've been reading a lot of uh, Sherlock home stories that have been by other writers. And so um, and much to my su- uh, surprise and delight uh, was one by Ashley, who's a little bit different take on on, on Sherlock and Holmes. It, it takes place in a, uh, I call it a fantastic future. Is that fair? Mm-hmm.
6: Yes.
0: Yes.
3: And, uh, but it's very compelling. Uh, the characters are great. And I, you know, I can't imagine uh, trying to come up with plots and, uh, and I'm a writer. So but coming up with plots, it's, it's a, little inti- a, little, a little intimidating for me to like kind of come up with stuff that like the great Sherlock Holmes could solve. But you did a, it's a great book. It really is. Um, Thank you, my friend. And, and uh, I, I want to do everything I can so that more people are aware of it. So uh, we'll put a definite link in the show notes for that. But it is available through Amazon and Kindle and all those places, right? Um, But, uh, yeah, Ashley, I mean, Mike said it before about your articles uh, that you do provide for us are always well written. But um, this is the first time I think I've seen you write fiction. And uh, it's great. I hope uh, there's more of that in your future.
6: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for your kind words.
1: Absolutely. That is awesome. It is awesome. Wow. I'm flabbergasted by that. (laughs) Well. I would say my shout-out is about Ashley also.
6: But <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any more news. That's it. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. But, you know, my shout-out actually is a mini-movie review. I got to watch the movie Free Guy. We had talked about it a bit, um, I think it was last year, because but kept on getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And it's now streaming on Disney, and which I was a little surprised by. But then after I watched the movie – I understand completely why Disney um, did it with some very interesting cameos in this. And I'm not going to say anything else because I know my two co-hosts on this have not seen the movie yet. And there's some amazing things in this movie. Um, It's just a fun, brainless, you know, popcorn movie. And Ryan and Reynolds is as charming as heck. And... It's just a lot of fun, and for anyone who's ever played a video game or first-person per- shooter or anything like this, you will have a blast. And it's just a ton of fun, and I definitely recommend it. And I won't go into any, any more detail because I'll doesn't have to start spoiling, and then, <laughs> and then Ashley might come after me with a lightsaber. That's all, that's all I'll say. So that's all I will say about the movie. But please join us again next week because we are going to be going on a trip. We're doing a summer trip. That's right, folks. Our friend John Burroughs of Bella Travel is back. Last year he did places to see during the pandemic. Now that the pandemic is starting to lift in some places. It is, you know, great to be able to uh, have him back. And we're going to talk about some new places that, you know, people are traveling to and places that go visit. And, you know, never know. We might book a travel right on this air with John. You never know. We might book Mike on a one-way trip to the moon or something, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you never know what could happen. You know, he might go to the South of France. He could be possible. You know, and I think find the
3: moon out. Is, if, I think the moon is probably more realistic than the South.
1: Of France <laughs> <laughs> a very good possibility there, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So please join us for next week. And of course, as always, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please write us feedback at our station one.com. De- tell us what you guys thought of Downton Abbey. Tell us what you guys have thought about some of the other movies that are coming out. We definitely would love to hear from you guys and you know what just write us we definitely love hearing from our friends our families and you know everybody else out there who's listening you know uh, other than mom and dad i think we have five listeners so it's a it's a good thing so definitely would love to hear from you guys and you know what as always we do love you know talking to you guys we love bringing podcasts to you and you know as we always just have fun with it and you know what let's just keep on having fun throughout the summer of this year. And as always, thanks for listening to the earth station one podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at NSClivetv.com. Remember you could also find earth station one, wherever fine podcasts are found, including now tune in radio. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us on behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ms. Ashley Pauls. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, and just have fun. Peace, and we'll talk to you soon. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. That's it. The show's over. It's time to head home. See you next week here at Station One.
0: This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network.